This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to my fully operational Star Wars analysis. Visit mjmunoz.com fo for notes and links, and don't forget to subscribe. Like, share, and comment to help me grow. So, I'm here to talk about Mandalorian episode 15, which is uh, season 2 episode 7. It is entitled The Believer. And... I am going to save a larger, I don't know, semi-philosophical discussion for the end of the episode. For now, I'm just going to give quick thoughts, and then I'll give slower thoughts, and the uh, ponderous thoughts will come after that. So, uh, episode 15, uh, quick thoughts, uh, you know, so Mayfeld is basically sprung, sort of, now he's legally sprung by uh, Marshall Dune, uh, leveraging some stuff, and uh, they get him and they go into this uh, Imperial world where they can find coordinates for where Moff Gideon is, and that's the whole uh, plot of the episode, I guess you could say. So, I liked seeing Mayfeld again. I really liked the way he was used, for the most part, and uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, the action was good. Uh, probably the my favorite thing was on the, uh, the planet where they're getting the coordinates where there's the uh, Imperial Stronghold, or I guess Imperial Remnant Stronghold. Um, I thought it was really interesting that uh, there was an opportunity for, well, I guess, first of all, uh, the action was really cool. When uh, Mando and Mayfeld were in that transport and they were taking that beridium, or it wasn't beridium, it was something else. Anyway, when they were taking that explosive compound over uh, to the Imperial base and there were those pirates, which I don't think they were pirates, I think they were raiders, freedom fighters. Uh, they looked alien, there were humans on that world, so I don't know if maybe that world is shared by humans and non-humans alike. And these guys were doing that. I don't think they were just your average, uh, you know, weak way robbers or whatever. But it was interesting that, because uh, they were destroying the ships. They were destroying the, the transports and the explosives on the transports. And the, I think the benefit of them destroying that was so that the Empire would leave. So, like I said, it seemed to me like they're more just freedom fighters, not fighters, freedom fighters. And they're just trying to uh, blow up the Imperials until they leave their world. Which can be an effective strategy, as we've seen uh, in the Middle East here in the United States, or in, in, uh, on the planet Earth. So, uh, interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, the, the fight, though, that Mando did against them was really awesome. Um, I, I didn't get to, I don't know if I'm going to get to grab any uh, of the concept art very easily today. We'll see what happens. But there was this really great uh, piece where Mando is shooting. Or there's like, you know, 12 of those raiders or whatever, and Mando is, uh, you know, knocking a bunch of, he's shooting from the, you know, very front of the ship, like just above the cockpit, and there's like, I don't know, 12 of these guys maybe, uh, advancing at the same time, and there's a few of them falling off and stuff, and that was pretty, pretty fun, it was pretty cool, so I liked that. Um, even though, you know, these guys are doing what they would consider to be right, and they're doing, uh, you know, potentially right by their people and trying to you know, preserve life and, and save things for themselves or whatever. It was still, uh, still interesting, still interesting conflict to watch unfold. And I like that. And, you know, obviously I'm with Din and, uh, and Mayfeld, I want them to get out of their lives so they can save Grogu. So it's, it's just kind of funny because, uh, I think right before then, actually, um, Mayfeld had been making the point that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, if you're born on one planet, you believe X. If you're born on another planet, you believe Y. But, you know, if you're dead, you don't believe anything, basically, and allegiances and alliances and 
like morals can change based on what you're doing just to survive and things like that. And I thought that was all super interesting conversation. Um, and it, you know, like I just said, it's interesting that I'm rooting for him to, he wasn't necessarily killing all of them. He was knocking a lot of them off, but, um, you know, he ended up, or the, uh, you know, like TIE fighters ended up killing a bunch of them. And I even felt like, uh, you know, Mayfeld had a line like, oh, you thought you'd never be so happy to see a stormtrooper, huh? And uh, I kind of felt that way. It was like, oh, good, the Imperials are there to save them because they, they've got a thing to do. And I'm attached to the story of Din and Grogu. And, uh, you know, I want them to get him back. So, I don't know, it's really interesting. It was um, the episode, so it was written and directed by Rick Fumayua. Uh, and I forgot to mention that at the top. Sorry about that. And uh, I thought it was cool, especially because last time he, like, co-wrote it and there was, like, a teleplay and, versus, like, the story written by him and another guy, David Yost or Daniel Yost or something like that, I think. Anyway, um, so it was interesting to see uh, him doing an episode completely on his own as far as the writing and the directing is concerned, and I really like it. Um, I feel like his episode last season, it wasn't The Gunslinger, was it? No, The Gunslinger was Dave Filoni. Uh, Fumiyama's episode kind of stands out to me because I felt like there was a lot of like stylistic stuff in it but maybe I'm I just can't remember which one it was whoops <laughs> oh well uh, but anyway I thought this one was really good I, I, I liked a lot about it I liked uh, one the visual presentation of everything was really slick and good and interesting um, you know that fight on top of the, the thing was cool and then uh, maybe the more intimate moments with that imperial officer who uh, you know Mayfeld CO and the guy who calls over Din uh, for drinks and stuff. Like, that was interesting. That guy was, like, really nasty. Like, they, they did a good job casting him. And all his dialogue was pretty good uh, as far as making him just feel odious and villainous. And just, like, someone you weren't mad when he got shot across the table, basically in cold blood. You know? It's, it's interesting how uh, being there... And, I, again, I don't know if there's some sort of meta-analysis or, like, meta-narrative or message that... Fumiyama was uh, trying to portray or put forth, but it's interesting because I'm thinking uh, in that you know meta narrative perspective, which is like, yeah, I was glad that this guy was such a terrible you know person that I was kind of happy to see him killed in cold blood. Of course, if you were you know his imperial wife, his imperial children, and you're sitting there at the imperial base waiting for the imperial remnant to um, you know come back so that order can be restored to the galaxy. Uh, yeah, if, uh, you know, this guy, you know, kills your dad and then blows up the whole base and, you know, you survive somehow, you're going to be mad and you're going to want revenge. So it's kind of like what Mayfeld was saying. It's, there's a lot of relativism to, to the way the world works and the way that people perceive it for themselves. So it is quite, it is easy to blur lines and erase lines and step over lines and pretend you didn't because, well, it's me. I did it for reasons, reasons that make sense. And... Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it's kind of like taking the idea of a certain point of view and expanding it and uh, playing around with it a lot. I thought that was interesting. So I got to say, uh, that, that's probably the, the best, most constructive thing I have to say. Oh, well, actually, a few observations. I love the fact that Boba Fett has uh, repaired his armor, cleaned it up, given it a new paint job or whatever. Super cool. Um, I like Jango Fett's armor, the, you know, silver and blue from, uh, you know, Attack of the Clones when I first saw it. I liked it a lot. Uh, when I originally saw Din's armor, 
I was a little disappointed because I thought, oh, just all metal, just all silver. Like, I guess that's neat. And, but he kind of had, you know, it was the helmet that we saw first in the first episode. And then he had kind of this patchwork, you know, brown and tan and different colors. And I thought, like, eh, it's okay. The gray cloak is kind of nice. It, you know, adds a nice touch to it, I guess. Um, but then when he got the full Beskar and it was unpainted, I really liked that. And then it made me think, like, oh, I guess other Mandalorians paint their Beskar. That must be part of the deal, right? Uh, and then, like, I didn't know what Beskar was until season one of Mando. Um, but then to see, uh, you know, Boba Fett's and to see it take the hits and everything like it does, or did, or whatever, uh, was really interesting. It all made, you know, like, everything started making more sense, and then I realized, oh, yeah, so it's Beskar, it's painted. And then seeing his repaired, because I thought, well, maybe they tint the, the Beskar through some sort of process or some sort of additive or whatever, but it looks like it's just painted because it looks like he was able to paint over it, which was really cool. I wonder how much time has transpired since the tragedy in here. Maybe he, like they swung by somewhere and got a paint kit and while they're in hyperspace traveling from one place to another, he was working on it and, uh, you know, getting his kit in good order. I have to say, I really, I don't know if I said this before, but I really, really like the look of his black robes and everything under the best car. And I kind of like the idea that like you could be in regular clothes and throw your best car on as a Mando and then you're ready for action. Um, which I guess if you think about it, that's kind of uh, how, I mean, we've known that that's kind of how it operates because we saw his, in Attack of the Clones, we saw Django's gear in, uh, you know, in that little closet or whatever when, when uh, Obi-Wan and Tan Wei were talking to him. Um, so, yeah, I guess he would have just thrown that on over his clothes and, you know, gotten into action. So it's just kind of neat seeing a different perspective on it. But I really, really like the look of the black hooded cloak or whatever that he's wearing under that. It just, uh, it looks cool. It adds like a, I don't know, like it almost makes it look way better than it ever looked before. I don't know that I really dug the tan and green and brown and whatever that Boba had under it before. Uh, I think this is a much better look and they should stick with the black, but we'll see what he ends up doing. He might want to restore it to how it was before. I don't know. Maybe he just had a flight suit that he wore uh, when he was running around without his Beskar and then he just threw it on over that. I don't know. Um, let me see. Oh, I, I love too seeing that he has some sort of integration with his helmet and the scope on it with it with the Slave 1. Uh, that was super exciting to see and uh, really getting to see the interior of Slave 1. I think that's the first time I've ever really seen it. Uh, I've read like Tales of the Bounty Hunters maybe, Tales of Jabba's Palace I think, had him in it um, at some point and uh, there's probably more Tales of the Bounty Hunters where we got more insight into it and would have entered Slave 1 with him. Um, but it's all pretty interesting stuff. So uh, I think that's about all I have to say for the episode. Seeing like, you know, Mando's new ad hoc crew working together was cool. Uh, I liked it. Um, I don't know what more to say besides that. So I will go ahead and go into a kind of a deeper, more ponderous discussion. And I hope not to make this drag on for more than like five minutes, but if you really want to get it out of here, you can. Oh, one last thing before I jump into that. I really liked that uh, Din sent, um, sent Moff Gideon that message that was very much repeating uh, at the end of episode seven when Moff Gideon appears, he comes out of his TIE fighter and you have something that belongs to me. It's very precious and you'll never know you can't imagine how you know special it is to me, and you know it will be mine. So then Din sends a message to uh, Gideon, basically saying the same thing in reverse. And uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. Although it is strange to me, in episode seven of season one, uh, we had Din take off his helmet to get the back to spray or whatever, and then we had him put it back on, and he retains his honor because you know IG-11 is only a droid, so it doesn't count. And then here Mayfeld's telling him it doesn't count. 
So it's fine that he took off his helmet in front of him or in front of the Imperials or whatever. And they're all dead anyway. So I guess I don't know if that's part of the way or not. You can redeem it by killing those folks. It doesn't sound like it is, but who knows? Uh, he could have just told Kara in a more simplified way in that episode on the uh, the nice planet with the nice lady. Um, the Seven Samurai episode, of course, is what I'm talking about. Uh, it was Bryce Dallas Howard's episode, maybe episode five? I don't know. Anyway, um, so what else? What else? What else? I don't know. I guess I'll get back. I'll get back on point. What I was trying to say, what I was working up towards is... Uh, you know, we have learned in this season that the way of the Mandalorian, of Din Djarin's uh, Mandalorians is not the way of all Mandalorians. There are different ways for different Mandalorians. And we even had Bo-Katan freeze, or cries, sorry, Bo-Katan cries, um, tell us that the, that Din is part of the, he's a child of the Watch, and that the Watch is a splinter a group of Mandalorian zealots who want to return to the old ways of Mandalore, which I guess include not taking off that bucket. And, um, yeah, that's kind of all we know about the way. The way is a splinter group. They're zealots. They, you know, one of the things they do is not take off their helmet in front of other people. And we had Din explain that if he takes it off, he can never put it back on again. And we don't know what all, you know, all what other honor things are associated with that. Uh, but they have, you know, rituals and uh, you know, we, we've gotten a glimpse of it, but we don't really know the details, which is fine for now. But uh, I think I've heard a little bit of people saying like, oh, I want Din to take off his helmet all the time and abandon the way or abandon, you know, the watch or whatever they call it. And, um, you know, that should be fine. He should become like a more mainstream Mando where he's taking off his helmet all the time. And I don't want that to happen. He did it this episode. In the first season, uh, it made sense how you know, IG-11 is no living being. Because I think he says, no living thing has ever seen me without my helmet. And he's like, hey, I'm not alive, so don't worry about it, man. You're good. You're straight, homie. And the, uh, you know, the exception that he makes here is interesting. Uh, I'm more upset by the idea that people want him to abandon his faith or his religion or his culture. And, uh, like, <laughs> he says, I'm a Mandalorian. Uh, weapons are part of my religion. So I assume that that's true, that it is part of the religion or whatever of Mandalore. And, like, I have no interest in seeing him abandon his religion, especially since his religion and his culture don't seem to be into, like, wanton murder and, uh, like, needless shedding of blood and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, Death Watch, obviously, you know, was working with the CIS, but the CIS wasn't all bad if you really think about it and you take a nuanced approach to it. Of course, you know, Dooku was evil, and, and Bree Vizsla was in line with, was in league with Dooku specifically, and, uh, like, they were trying to assassinate Satine, I believe, although, why didn't, I, I don't remember, it's been too long, why didn't Vizsla just do it himself, uh, when he was so close? Anyway, uh, I won't go into that at this time, <clears throat> uh, but what, what, what I will go into is, uh, the fact that I just don't feel comfortable cheering for this guy to be losing his religion and abandoning his way of life, especially since that way of life has kept him alive so far. Uh, that way of life caused him to save the life of Grogu, I believe. The fact that the Mandalorians take in foundlings and treat them and raise them as their own, uh, and the fact that he feels like he owes so much to them, to me means that uh, there's something more than just killing people and looking great while doing it, too. The Mandalorian culture and, you know, not taking off the helmets is, you know, part of the way 
or the watch, whatever. Um, there's something more there. There's something deeper. There's something you know beautiful and life-giving and generative that would keep him faithful to such a group. And I can understand. Perhaps it's a strange way. It's a it's a rule without meaning or without much uh, logic behind it. But religious rites, religious um, ethics and morals and things like that don't need to have logic behind them to be true and to be meaningful to the practitioners of those things. I, in fact, am a uh, participant in a religious order, so to speak, uh, that has rules that don't make sense. It's all Bible-based. Uh, but there are edicts and laws and judgments and uh, statutes, let's say, given in the Bible that don't make sense. And uh, even if they come from the mouth of God, it's uh, do this because I, the Lord your God, am holy and uh, I want you to be holy. Or just do this. This is a statute of mine. I am the Lord your God. So that's almost the same as saying this is the way. So, um, you know, I, I definitely vibe with that. And uh, I'm just not cheering for this guy to abandon his way for no good reason. I can understand making compromises. Now, in the uh, jurisprudence uh, from the Bible, from the Torah specifically, there's something called bikuach nefesh, which means preservation of life, which means that out of the 613 commandments, that uh, basically all of them, but I think two or three, can be um, violated, broken, in order to save life because life is sacred. Life is more sacred than anything else. I don't know if there's some sort of pikuach nefesh, you know, Mandalorian uh, counterpart, which enables him to, in order to keep to, like, you gotta remember, uh, he's with Grogu, and Grogu has stayed with, uh, with Din because he's a foundling under his care, which is part of the way. So if you want him to abandon his faith and abandon his religion, uh, you're asking him to abandon Grogu. And I just, uh, I don't think that's cool. And I, I don't know that people are thinking it through that way. But anyway, uh, if there is some sort of provision that you can violate certain things in order to save a life or preserve a life, like that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, there was the saying or the armorer when they met again in uh, I think season or in episode 7 maybe it was episode it was probably episode 8 yeah it was episode 8 uh, when they met in uh, Redemption chapter 8 of The Mandalorian she asked you know who is this one uh, that you know mandated such bloodshed mandated such violation whatever and mandated us coming out and open um, like she wasn't mad about it it was like hey we did this we made this choice to stick by you Din Djarin and save you and your ward your foundling you know, who you were okay violating the Bounty Hunter Guild laws and credos for, uh, I'm assuming because there was some higher way that he was following. And, uh, like, she just accepts it. And then she tells him, well, now your mission, according to the way, is to take him and reunite him with his people, or if he, since he can't be raised as a Mandalorian. And, I don't know, I just think that's, that's really interesting. There's this lot of significance to that, and it's not a light thing that he should throw away his attachment to, uh, the Watch or the Mandalorians, and uh, I almost would be okay if he did abandon the Watch to see what does that mean. Like, you know, he said, I can never put it back on. You can never put on the helmet again. You can never put on the Beskar. What is it, like, are you allowed to be a Mandalorian because you've, you know, gained a certain amount of skills and, you know, a way of life, and but you just can't have on the the, the helmet anymore, and you're like a disgraced Mandalorian? Is that what, and then can you become like a second-class Mandalorian citizen where you are an ambassador of the watch to 
people outside of them or an ambassador to people outside of Mandalore. Because certainly some cultures wouldn't trust people who, you know, would hide their faces and things like that. So I wonder, and uh, I wonder, uh, like, if he's going to end up, like, fessing up if he meets again with his covert or the armor specifically or another covert of Mandalorians who are, you know, followers of the way. And he'll say, like, look, guys, this is what happened. And they'll either say, it's okay, you know, based on, you know, the teachings of, you know, the great Mandalore or, you know, Mandela or whatever, like, you know, we, you know, rule this, that it was okay. Uh, or like, no, you're, you're done. You're out of here. Give us your helmet. You know, we're going to take it from you or, you know, take it off, never put it on again or something like that. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I love all the possibilities of where it could go. And I love the fact that like, it's so vague, we don't really know where it's going. It can go a lot of different directions. I just hope it goes somewhere that's, like, respectful and that makes sense and doesn't make light of, of uh, like, what they've set up in-universe. Because, uh, if you remember, like, when Solo came out, um, and I, I've been listening a little bit to uh, Last Shot, the Han, and, uh, the Han and Lando book, which spans, like, decades, maybe, like, 30 years or so. Anyway, it has L3 in it, of course. She's in Solo. There's the whole droid rebellion. She's the droid rights activist and whatnot. And people kind of made fun of that. And uh, people likened her to being an SJW, whatever. And then uh, people brought out a good point, which is when, spoilers for Solo, if you haven't seen it yet. Here we go. People uh, kind of, uh, you know, L3, uh, Lando's co-pilot droid, is all about droid liberation. And she has like a fully functional AI and she wants to be independent and free other droids. And she kind of helps free other droids uh, from their programming on uh, Mim, it wasn't Mimbom. That was that was the mud planet that Han was serving on when he des when he deserted the Empire. Uh, whatever, I guess it was Kessel. Yeah, it was Kessel. Man, crazy! Can't believe they went to Kessel in that movie. Anyway, in the Spice Mines of Kessel, uh, L three talks to a droid and she causes it to uh, take action and free its droid brethren. And uh, they have a little droid revolt, and it's you know played for laughs, sort of. But it's I don't know. That moment wasn't a problem. What is kind of more a problem is that she wants to be free. She wants other droids to be free, you know, through their AI and whatnot. And then her brain gets yanked out of her as she's dying. And it gets sort of enslaved in the Millennium Falcon. Like, it saves her life and whatever. But I don't see that there's a reason why they couldn't have pulled her brain out of there uh, and let her be autonomous, fully autonomous again. And uh, it's kind of ironic that that happens to her. That... Um, she wants to be free and she ends up enslaved and like everyone's just okay with that uh it's very weird there's a lot of things going on in the modern uh you know disney star wars era that don't quite make sense that don't jive with things that people outside of the story who want to be woke are trying to do and then the characters inside of the story being a little bit woke are trying to do um and it's just kind of interesting how that all works but whatever uh but so I guess what I'm saying is it would make sense that people writing these Star Wars stories would would kind of be sloppy and like misapply their principles or set up a character to hold certain beliefs and then have that character violate their beliefs or their principles and have it not matter or have it not be mentioned. At least, I mean, we haven't seen, we've seen one series of Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni heavily producing and writing and whatnot. And we haven't really seen, you know, I haven't seen hypocrisy, I guess, pop up or like things that don't make sense in universe conflicting with stuff from out of universe. So like if, uh, man, if, you know, if Din Djarin 
uh, totally abandons all his Mandalorian stuff, uh, but he carries on much the same, like, that's going to be a disappointment to me. If he becomes a disgraced Mandalorian, uh, that would be more interesting, and it would be neat to see how a disgraced Mandalorian functions. Um, or if he would just, like, kind of be rejected by the Watch, and then be accepted by other Mandalorians. And it'd be interesting to see how different uh, the way of the Watch is from the way of the rest of, um, the rest of, uh, regular Mandalorian society, like, they're trying to rebuild on Mandalore. I believe they are trying to rebuild Mandalore, but it was interesting, uh, I guess maybe because of the purges or whatnot, um, uh, Mayfeld did say that Mandalore was gone, just like Alderaan, so I don't know how, uh, complete its destruction was. Uh, we have things like Terrace being destroyed in, uh, <laughs> in Knights of the Old Republic, but, uh, also whatever, whatever, like, Karth's homeworld was, it was so bombarded, uh, or so, you know, destroyed by ordnance from orbit, uh, that it was basically, you know, not okay, but then they're, res oh, Telos, that's what it is, and then, uh, they're restoring Telos in, uh, the Sith Lords, which is the sequel to KOTOR, so it's like five, ten years later, um, they're restoring it slowly, um, so, I don't know, you know, can Mandalore be restored? But then again, Mandalore, I think, was already so destroyed they were living in dome cities, right? So, I mean, what more is there to destroy? I don't know, it's a little hard to say. But then again, do the Mandalorians just move along and find another world? Or is there another planet like Concordon or whatever in, or Concordia, I think is what they have. Uh, that's a moon of Mandalore, maybe, if I'm remembering correctly. But I think Concordon may have been recanonized recently. Uh, anyway... Uh, but maybe there's another planet in the Mandalorian sector where they can rebuild and set up as their main home planet. I don't know. Um, but I am interested. I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, like I said, I just don't want hypocrisy. And I want, if he, you know, if things change, I want it to matter. I think that's important. So, anyway, that's all I have to say. I've gone on for a really long time. That was way more than uh, the five minutes I was allotting for myself to talk about that. But just a lot of other things came up and I thought it was interesting. So, hopefully you found it interesting too. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. And I'm going to thank you for your time. So until next time, folks, take care. This is a little sudden, but I decided just for fun, I would go ahead and play the clips of Moff Gideon and Din Djarin uh, talking smack to each other about the fact that they are going to reclaim the child from uh, one from the other, I guess you could say. So I'm going to go ahead and cue that up. And uh, hopefully you all find this interesting and enjoyable. And I think I'm going to enjoy uh, just being able to hear it, uh, the back and forth between them, because I think that's uh, pretty interesting. So, uh, I had to scrub for it a little. I don't think it'll be an issue for me to to find it. Um, and I'm actually going to, I know I already ended the episode, uh, basically, but I'm just going to tack this on to the end, and I feel comfortable with that. I don't think it's a problem. something I want. Who's this guy? You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of, but you do not. Quill, are you back to the ship yet? They're on to us. Quill, come in. In a few moments, it will be mine.
so I think that's about, uh, yeah, that's the end of it for, uh, Redemption, or no, uh, whatever, The Reckoning. That was episode seven of season one, chapter seven, whatever. So, uh, that was the end of that one. So I'm going to go ahead and queue up the next one. And I might end up, uh, I don't know if I'm going to leave these raw or if I'm going to cut it together. Because there's a lot of stuff in between. So it's a little bit less impactful. Uh, hearing it uh, chopped up maybe. I don't know. I'll, I might play it both ways. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if it's a little extra long. Uh, and hopefully you don't mind if you're already here. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of. But you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. Alrighty, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, commentate over that real quick. Uh, and then I might splice it up and cut it down and you can hear that stuff after this. But if not, you know, say I love you. You can listen to it again. Anyway, I think it's interesting that uh, Moff Gideon, you know, is coming hard. Um, <laughs> he uh, is calling uh, Grogu it. He's, like, just treating it like a thing, like an asset. He's treating him like a thing, like an asset. And uh, the order's a little flipped around. Um, so I wonder if it actually mirrors or not. But whatever. I'm, I'm okay if it doesn't. Uh, I just think it's interesting the way Din is, you know, phrasing it. It's, you know, kind of going... Uh, not not opposite necessarily, but he's just, it's a totally different perspective. It's the same words spoken by somebody, you know, their roles are reversed a little bit, and their roles are reversed uh, even in as much as Gideon just sees Grogu as an asset, as a tool, as a thing he can use, even if it's a very valuable um, asset to him, and it's going to enable him to do, you know, all these amazing things or whatever. But uh, more importantly than that, uh, you know, Din is coming as a father, uh, and he's seeking to get his child back and he's humanizing Grogu and he's saying him you have something that belongs the only thing is he should have said you have someone who belong that belongs to me or something like that maybe I don't know but uh it's interesting just that, you know it's cold and it's menacing and it's almost aloof from uh Gideon in the first instance and then when we have it you know repay replayed or repeated or uh you know reflected back at him by Din uh he sounds very sinister and very threatening not cool and relaxed and aloof like Moff Gideon. There's not that arrogance there. There's the emotion and uh, the menace of a father trying to protect their child and trying to get them back. And I just think that's really cool. So uh, I, I, that was a very well-played moment. I enjoyed that. Um, the only thing I can assume is he was blasting that frequency out in Moff Gideon's general direction based on knowing where he is, having his coordinates, and that's how he's able to uh, get the message to him. Because otherwise, how do you get that? I don't know. But anyway, um, I liked it, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was cool, and I just wanted to go ahead and share that with everybody. Um, so I guess that's pretty much it. So if you're going to hear it uh, nice and cleaned up, uh, I guess enjoy. And if not, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing it back-to-back -back the way I presented it uh, live as it was happening. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. In a few moments, it will be mine. It means more to me than you will ever know. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of, 
but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me 